The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Jack Berezini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel is Pat Scott. Hey, Pat. Good evening, or day, daytime, wherever yeah. you are. <laughs> yeah. Hi. <laughs> awesome. Uh, looks like we got a, a lot of fun things to cover today. Um, and as I was just saying before we uh, started recording here, it seems like Facebook has been in the news a lot lately, and that's going to be our... First uh, topic here is Facebook's big rebranding uh, kind of re. Um, the way they're putting it is that they're changing the course and becoming a more comprehensive company. Um, and so what happened is uh, last week at their Facebook Connect event, which is like their their equivalent of like the WWDC or one of those kind of things, their yearly developer conference where they announce all their new stuff. Um, Mark Zuckerberg announced that they are changing the name of the company from Facebook Incorporated to Meta. And um, what the what he's saying with this is basically they're going to move from being just the one social media app with owning other things like they own WhatsApp and they own Oculus, they own Instagram. And so they're going to have an umbrella corporation, um, not the Resident Evil game, uh, but uh, called Meta that is going to have all those things underneath it. And this is similar to what um, Google did this, uh, I think, in 2015 or 2016, where they became Alphabet. And that was like the top-level company. And then Google and all the other sub-companies are underneath that top-level one so they can be a more um, more encompassing company. And what they've been talking a lot about here is this thing known as the Metaverse and essentially what it is, is it seems to be 50% uh, just marketing fluff and 50% uh, almost like an attempt to, it makes me think of like Second Life, um, which was really big back in like the early 2000s. Um, but what it is, is integrating technology into every aspect of your life with augmented reality and virtual reality and basically wanting to be a part of every single every single experience you have is going to be augmented in some way by technology um and it's a it's an interesting idea but given all the other things that facebook has been in the news for with uh all the leaks they have about how their data is being misused or how bad facebook is for teenagers especially um i think it's rubbing a lot of people the wrong way and it definitely does not feel like a positive thing and it just comes across as very very dystopian i know a lot of people have compared it to like ready player one or kind of a lot of those cyberpunk things like the matrix where you're plugged into this massive corporation that has its hands in every single part of your life um what are your thoughts on it pat well the name is really off-putting for a lot of people they don't know what they even is meant by meta you know and it's right. really confusing to them and i do use the analogy of ready player one and uh second life and uh snow crash and a couple of other things to try to explain that it's looking at you participate in lots of things now that are multimedia 
In other words, you can pick up a book, you can read it on audio, I mean, read it on a Kindle, you can listen to it on audio, you can see it in a movie. So there's already that I've got one thing that I experience in multiple ways. And so the metaverse is kind of that metaphor for um, saying, how can people communicate and cooperate and work together and play together and socialize together? And it's done across multiple medias. Mm -hmm. So there might be somebody that's on a PC just doing a, a, a video conference in, and somebody else may be in a VR headset and still in the same meeting talking about the same things, but they're using different methods of communication, but still cooperating. And right. somebody else might be sitting in a studio audience, you know, and raising their hand and asking questions of real people in that same situation. So mm -hmm. the metaverse to me is saying I've got one thing I'm doing and I can participate in multiple ways. And up until now, Facebook has been primarily focused on the entertainment aspect, which is the Oculus right. and the the uh, Rift and the uh, um, they've started into some horizons, which is a like a second life, only it's 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 a Facebook product or has been a Facebook product, and it's mostly entertainment. Mm -hmm. But now they had already started talking about, but now are really getting more into the work aspect. How do you do work collaboration? And there are already a lot of tools in VR right. for that. So yeah, yeah I think uh... it's just trying to bring different people into a common task or a common goal and work with different media. Right. And that's something uh, this article here from The Verge talks about. It's uh, entitled The Metaverse, The Multiverse, and The End of Your Free Time. And it's kind of kind of talking about what you just mentioned with the entertainment focus on Facebook and how all our entertainment nowadays is not, it's not like you get a book and it's the story and you read it and you're done. It's everything is a franchise. Everything is a like a multiverse that, um, it's kind of like what Marvel did, and they were kind of the first ones to really spearhead that, um, how it's this multimedia experience rather than a piece of art or a piece of entertainment you consume. You have the movie, and, and, you've got the video right. game, you've got the, the, the books, the, the board games, yeah, all again and, surrounding the one, the one idea. Right, and it's, uh, I mean, I, I like that stuff as far as it goes, but I really, I really think that it's contributing to the death of like people developed culture everything now is like like back in back in the day and i'm not trying to sound like you know you know back in the day kids get off my lawn but people would sit around and they would they would sing songs together and they would create they would create their own entertainment and create their culture themselves and we've shifted to be such a consumer oriented uh culture that everything now is just something that we are bringing in from a large corporation and as as these conglomerates get bigger and bigger, like Disney is buying up Lucasfilm and Marvel and all these things, it ends up being, it, it's almost like, and I don't say this to like denigrate like Star Wars or Marvel or anything like that, but it's, it, it feels like you're just buying this prepackaged, like processed food product that you're just going to consume. And it's not about telling a good story. It's about what can we push out to the customer to keep them engaged. And that's really the vibe I get from a lot of the, the way Facebook has pushed it at least. Well, and I understand that point of view, but I also feel like that uh, as as people, we have a responsibility to keep a balance in our life. 
Right. And like I, I know with Dom's family, you know, uh, there's some screen time, but there's mostly a lot of, of uh, creative play and, and art right. and that type of thing. And you have to look to the people to to bring a balance in there. And right. just like uh, that, you know, people used to complain about uh, computer games and I'm saying, well, people still used to waste time doing uh, crossword puzzles or, mm. or reading the newspaper at work or filing their nails. You can't blame the technology, but it's true that the more attractive the technology is, the more people are going to want to use it. And, and that could, in some cases, uh, if they, if they don't keep a good balance and they could be just, just consuming. Yes. Right. And that's, that's what worries me about the line between the provider of the technology and the, like the provider of the access to the content. When they become the same person who is creating the content, they're going to push their own stuff before they're going to push other things. And just the way like search algorithms work, like when YouTube makes their own content versus user created content. And as these things have grown, it's become less about how can you find all this different content from all different kinds of people that have created it and more, it becomes a very artificially curated experience. Except that, that's what worries me about the Facebook meta thing. Well, except that with the Oculus, for instance, mm -hmm. there are not very many Oculus or Facebook owned apps. Most of the apps are things that are cross platform that are on other things that are over on Steam, etc. So it's not just one content provider. Right. It's it's the platform you get on, but like just like you can use Steam to play this one walkabout mini golf, I can play it on on the Oculus and play with people from that other platform. Now not mm. all games or all apps are multi-platform in the same way, and some are just strictly single one. But there's right. a lot of independent developers that are creating things and putting them out for free and uh, in in a side store that you can get to from your headset and bring in, you know, 3D picture jigsaw puzzles that you can play. And they're not made by Facebook. They're mm. not made by the company, but they're just able to play on that platform. Right. Nice. Um, I was actually not aware of that. I thought it was more like a siloed uh, mm -hmm. content funnel. So that's good to know. Um, and speaking of the Oculus, that's another thing they brought up is that they're going to be, um, they're rebranding the whole Oculus line. It's going to be the Meta um, Meta VR line. And they have this new fitness app, um, Supernatural. Oh, yeah. That's going to be incorporated within that. Um, well, actually, it already exists and it's become very successful. And it's it was a company called within that bought them and then mm. facebook has now bought that within and right so supernatural was not created by facebook but it has been very popular and uh and i think that a lot of people feel like this may provide some additional funding to help keep the costs down for the individuals but allow for a lot more uh developer content Right, yeah. So uh, I know that you're a big, uh, big fan of the Oculus, right? Yeah, and I, uh, b because it's the most easily accessible in terms of dollars. That's mm -hmm. where I started, and yeah, I think like... that's the main thing on the Oculus is they they're losing money on the headset, right? But but they're trying to provide an entry level for people to get into VR to use it for meetings, for using it for games, using it for social interaction, for creativity for world building, that type of thing. And so I like it. Now, it's not 
I don't do everything in there. I mean, right. that's that's obviously the balance you're talking about. But uh, I mean, you can you can watch movies in there, or you can play miniature golf, or you can play badminton, or whatever you want to do. But uh, some of those are cross-platform, and others are just strictly you know on the in the one device. Right. Yeah. So is this something that you're uh, looking forward to positively in terms of the potential for VR and stuff like that? Yeah, I really am. I feel like if if that there are a lot of, of aspects of VR that people have been like this last year and a half, they haven't been able to travel. They they haven't been able to go to a gym. They haven't been able to get out to go to movies. And this provides a safe way to do these types of things and mm-hmm. interact with other people, not to the exclusion of doing it with your friends and family, but it's another way that people who are homebound, who are disabled, who are sitting in a wheelchair, can do physical exercise and travel virtually. I see it as a very positive thing for education, for medicine, uh, for, you know, just like um like the uh, video chats have become mm-hmm. very helpful for medical to this could also be brought into something into a, like a VR environment too, where, right. where people can actually show you what to do in, in that type of thing in a virtual environment. Yeah. Definitely. So I, I, I know that there are things that we have to watch out for. And yes, the tracking and the Facebook has not been a good, good player in terms of mm-hmm. tracking and monitoring. Uh, I wish it was another company that was doing this, but I am excited for the technology and the things that can open up to people who would be otherwise restricted. Right, definitely. And uh, it's one of those technologies where before I actually tried a VR headset, I was my attitude is kind of, I'm sure that's cool, but is it really as cool as everyone says? And then I tried it and it really is awesome. Uh, a couple of months ago, we went to the this uh, Vincent van Gogh um, oh, augmented yes. reality exhibit. Um, I think I mentioned this on the show before, actually, but uh, they had a segment where you used an Oculus Rift to like go through this virtual tour of his paintings, and they were kind of like integrated into different scenes of his life. So you're like flying through these different parts of France and like or Belgium, wherever he's from, um, and it would like show you like the scenes where the paintings were inspired, and then like bring it in like with the painting itself. So it was like this really cool experience that you get that you wouldn't get by just looking at pictures online. And that's, that's um, like for my part, like being able to like tour like the Louvre, like virtually mm-hmm. or something like that would be really awesome. So I, I'm really excited about those kinds of applications and things like that. Well, and they did something very similar with the Mona Lisa, uh, being able to go through and um, do a lot of in-depth exploration of it in VR that I haven't been able to see yet because it was it still was very a proprietary thing and only mm-hmm. on one particular device on the HTC Vive I think it is. Hmm, nice. And uh, so I mean it's those types of things to be able to go to a museum to go to to go to Pompe- Pompeii I walked around Pompeii and got to see it and I've never been. Nice. And it was so exciting. And it's hard to describe to somebody how it feels, that it feels mm-hmm. like you're really there. Even if it's, it's awesome cartoonish, you feel this, you, you hear the sounds, you, you, you see the three stuff around you 360. And it, it really is marvelous. Yeah, it really is. Um, uh, you mentioned the one thing only being available on the HTC Vive. And that's something else that uh, 
Facebook is kind of talking about this whole metaverse thing because they're not the only company that's looking at this. A lot of oh, other yeah. companies are using that and it's kind of become it's become like one of those buzzwords that doesn't have a really and really nailed down meaning. Um, but what Facebook is saying and what other companies have said is that they don't want this to be a proprietary thing. They don't want it to be like the Facebook metaverse and the Microsoft metaverse right. or et cetera. Um, and that would be, I feel like that's going to really make or break this kind of thing, because if it's going to actually live up to the potential that they're talking about, it has to be a cross-platform, exactly. almost um, like an ambient computing experience where it doesn't matter what kind of device you're on, it is going to just function. Well, it's kind of like Steam as far as gaming. You know, you right. can be on a on a Mac or a PC or I think Linux uh, to to mm-hmm. play games on Steam and be playing with other people. So you've got the technology, but it can be spread across vendors. And that's right. what my hope is, is that it's just that Facebook has been one of the first ones to make it available to people at a lower cost. Right, definitely. And that's where the, the offsetting comes in. Which is nice. Um, yeah, it's a it's a cool uh, it's a really cool idea. Um, I think most people's hesitation is the fact that Facebook is doing it. Um, yeah. There's actually this, uh, and that that's like I think my main hesitation. Uh, there's this article from Vice that has some rather colorful language in it. So uh, if you're sensitive to that, uh, you can just click over that. But uh, basically, the, the headline is Zuckerberg announces fantasy world where Facebook is not a horrible company. And they just go through basically the pitch. And it's very, very dystopian vibe that his video gave off. And they talk about um, Facebook specifically. But I noticed that both in Apple's recent announcement of their new phones and Google's announcement of their Pixel announcement, they all gave off because their focus was very much on your device as like becoming just part of your life and part of the world around you rather than a device you use. And I don't know if it, I don't think it was intentional, but they all gave off a very like cyberpunk dystopian vibe that was kind of unsettling. Mm. Um, and that's really, really the vibe that the Facebook thing gave. And I think a lot of it has to do with all this parallel news about the Facebook papers and the whistleblowers and these practices that Facebook is engaged in. And I think that's, Everyone's main hesitation is, you know, on paper, this sounds great, but is it going to be something where it's an open standard and it's actually secure and people are not taken advantage of because Facebook really doesn't have a great track record with that. And so that's going to be, that's really going to be what's going to make or break this. Well, and the other thing is too, is, is uh, there have been some novels, dystopian novels, obviously, Mm -hmm about people that jack in and that they are sitting in a chair 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just absorbing stuff and participating in a virtual world and not living. And that's right. the other end of it. That's the part that people, I think, are afraid of is that, you know, people will stop living their lives. But again, I think that, you know, you have to look at it as a whole human being, not as this is going to take over and replace what I'm doing. This is going to be an additional thing that I can use for education or or learning or entertainment or socializing. It is not replacing life. Right. I think the worry is, and I think it's a valid concern, is it's in all these companies' best interest to keep you plugged in as much as possible because that's how they make their revenue. Of course. And so um, they've even shown this, like um, the way the algorithms work is that they they hit that 
you know, the, the ape brain kind of thing, like the hit the button, get the cheese. Um, and I think that's what, that's where the worry is and what kind of oversight is there going to be both internally and externally to prevent like widespread and a widespread addiction to this kind of thing. Like I know that's a problem they have, especially I think in uh, China with the internet cafes and right. the, the addiction that people have to that. So this is already, a, this is already an issue that we have with technology and it's, it's both a personal discipline thing. Like it's not entirely the company's job to, keep people from just sitting around all day and looking at a screen or wearing a headset. But there is some onus, I think, on them to not deliberately design their systems to be as addictive as possible. Well, and, and the other thing is, is like in China, a lot of the, the, the problems, it was either Japan or China, I was trying to remember, mm-hmm. but where, where people would stay in their rooms and play video games all day and never come out and end up dying because they're not right. getting nutrition or whatever, that type of thing. Part of that is because the culture that they were in was pretty oppressive. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's an escape. And that's the whole theme of Ready Player One is the world was in an economic disaster. And so that people would escape the real world because it was they were full of poverty and everything else. And then they could get, you know, the schools and the entertainment and those socialization. They could get that in another form rather than mm-hmm. having to live it out in a very dire environment. So right. we've got to make sure that our, you know, we're not in an oppressive environment, that we do things to to keep people alive and interested in performing in the real world, but just this be an adjunct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. As with most pieces of technology in of itself, it is not good or bad. It's how it's used and how Correct. people use it. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's exciting. It's scary. Um as much as I want to get an Oculus, or I guess now a Meta, I don't have a Facebook account, so I guess I'd have to bite the bullet on that. No, if you I won't wanna... in the future. Oh, really? No, you will not have to get a Facebook account. They've oh, already announced that. They just haven't figured figured out when they're going to actually de- decouple it. Oh, awesome. So the, that, that, that was the thing that just was announced this week. Okay, good. That, I've not heard so that. That's good that should relieve you a lot. <laughs> now, there may be a, something like a Steam account or a right, Meta right. account, but it won't be hooked to anything in Facebook itself. That's good. Yeah, that's good because that was my main concern. Is I got rid of my Facebook a while ago and didn't feel like signing back up, but I want to play Star Trek Bridge Commander. So. Yes, <laughs> I've got it. We can play. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, definitely. We should do like a like an SQPN mission, get everyone together. Yeah, we had talked about it at one point, uh, and there is one particular app that is across the PC, and you can do a form of it on the Mac that's called AltSpace, which oh, basically nice. people can be in the different environments and still go into these same worlds and, 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 and mm-hmm. talk and play and, and do some creative things, et cetera, but be on different platforms. Oh, nice. That's awesome. And and uh, there's another one that basically you can be on a mobile device as well as being in face in the in the uh, Oculus. Nice. And I feel like that's really the one of the goals of this. The metaverse thing is it doesn't matter what device you're using to access it. It's just going to work. Right. And it may be richer in one environment than in another. Right. Just like, it, you know, a 3D movie is a different experience than a black and white uh, uh, movie. Right. So, definitely. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time to be using technology. I feel like there's a lot of advances uh, coming on. 
We're going to get to our headlines, but before we do that, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Technology, including Sean G., Michelle Q., George S., Kimberly P., and Aaron C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. All right, we got some uh, fun, interesting headlines. First one here is from uh, The Verge, is saying uh, public transportation can save the world if we let it. And uh, it's an interesting uh, analysis of uh, just public transportation, especially in America, and how things have changed since uh, the pandemic and how it's kind of, it's it's been damaging to public transportation because less people are moving around. And there's also the whole, there's there's a bunch of different things in play and it's always been in play especially in um in the US with public transportation versus private transportation like you know if you live in a big city it's not really it's not really as big of a deal because you have access to it um but in Europe in Europe because historically there's not been towns are much smaller it's it's been something that's been less of an issue like car ownership versus public transportation but uh, in the U.S., it's it's always been kind of that back and forth. And this is something actually I mentioned to Dom the other day on Twitter is that if I could, I would like never own a car again and never drive again. But because of where I live, that's not really possible. And I think that's the case for most people who live in the United States. Right. And and the uh, cities are not laid out or, or the way that it, cities or populations or group does not lend itself to, to very mm-hmm. effective transportation. I mean, Texas, things are just so spread out that, you know, you get a, a public rail line in and it's, it, people have to drive a long way to get to it in right. order to get, take it to get somewhere else. Uh, now, if you were living in a larger city, then buses and uh, light rail and all those things become very attractive and less costly than keeping a car. But, right. you know, when you've got a lot of acreage, you know, out there in in between your little place where you work and where you go to school and where you, you shop, you you really can't do public transportation very easily. Right. And that's uh, and one of the things it talks about here in the article is uh, the effect, um, the effect on the climate and the effect on uh, just like the way like things are laid out um, from transportation. Like I know there's a lot of a lot of stuff done. um early on in the pandemic, especially when no one was traveling anywhere, like the levels of smog that were just clearing oh, from yeah. cities and stuff like that. And like, regardless of what one thinks about the climate change issue, I think everyone can agree that like more pollution is never a good thing. And so if we're going to have a more efficient way to transport people, that's, that's for everyone's benefit. Um, I know there's been a lot of different proposals, like uh, basically a, like a, a fleet of electric cars that you just get like your self-driving uber comes to your house and takes you where you need to go and i think that that's an interesting uh it's an interesting idea i would like to see how well it would scale in reality and i can see where it might work in areas that that um shall we say that there weren't very many that you could say this area here is all that type of electronic or electric Mm -hmm. pickup type thing but you don't have other cars mixed in there Right. In other words, that you could say that this this town or this area is kind of not like a pedestrian area, but it's like a like a uh, a uh, self a driver assisted type or a uh, electronic assisted um, section. 
Right. But to try to mix that in with the everyday is not going to be very practical. In fact, you know, it's really hard right now because a lot of people are using Uber and Lyft and things like that. And there's so that means that there's a, just as many vehicles traveling and just as many miles being done. It's just that it's it's being owned by by different people as opposed to the uh, person, each person owning a car. Right. And that's uh, that's the issue is that um, you've got to figure out how to clear up that congestion and also make it feasible for most people to get where they need to go in a timely manner. And the problem with a lot of transportation um, that this article talks about is that as a result of the, the pandemic, there's less people riding, and so there's less money coming in, and so the systems are not being kept up or kept on schedule the way they need to be, and that kind of leads to this vicious cycle of it's unreliable, so people don't want to take it, and they don't, it's, they're not going to be able to improve it because it's unreliable, and that's why people don't take it. Um, well, I thought it interesting, too, in the article that they mentioned that one of the, the suggestions that was being made is that buses of different sizes are a lot more flexible and can change routes and can change capacities it's, and react to, to different situations much easier than a rail can right. or subways can. So maybe we should be looking at more, not necessarily big buses, but, but uh, smaller fleets of buses that could, could react more um, fluidly to change mm-hmm. in, uh, population needs. And that there may not be, with people working a lot more from home, there may not be the, the massive rush hours that you have to have the huge systems in place for. If people are working more from home, then they're going to be going out, but at different times of the day and, and, and not all at once. And so right. that something like a bus system would be much more flexible. I think that, yeah, I think that would definitely be good. I would also like to see, and this is going to take a shift on like the part of the employers, um, more flex work being allowed, like where you go into the office when you need, but you don't go in unless you absolutely have to, because there's a lot of days when people go into work and everything you get done, you could get done from home and usually get more done from home because you don't have Joe stopping by your desk to chat for 20 minutes and all those different little distractions. And then you also cut out the commute time, like... I think most people would benefit from the quality of life improvement from not having to drive for 30 minutes to an hour every day. Like I'm in a, I'm in a position where I'm really lucky that I live like 10 minutes from work. And so it's like 20 to 30 minutes out of my day to drive both ways. But I know a lot of people, especially around larger cities, their commutes are like 45 minutes to an hour or sometimes more. And gaining back those extra two to three hours per day would be a huge benefit for people both like mentally and physically and also just like product, like from a productivity standpoint. Well, I think a lot of companies are beginning to look at that, you know, because there's a lot of employees that are saying we're not coming back. (laughs) We don't want to go back. And so I think they're beginning to offer some, some compromises, like maybe two days a week in in the office and three at home Mm -hmm. or or, uh, two afternoons a week or, or whatever, because they found that they can get a lot of work done. Not all work has to be done in the office. We've proven that this last year. So what can we do to, yes, there needs to be more in in office time for certain things, but does it have to be all the time? So I'm right. kind of hoping that there may be more flexibility going on here rather than the companies just saying, oh, never everybody come back. Yeah, definitely. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see as the pandemic hopefully starts winding down how, how that transition happens. Because I know a lot of places have, already transitioned, but 
it's going to be interesting to see how it all goes. Our next headline comes from uh, CNET. It's talking about uh, Apple's uh, rumored AR headset that's supposed to be coming out uh, next year. And it's going to have Wi-Fi 6E, which is the newest standard of Wi-Fi that's going to allow for much uh, higher transfer uh, data transfers, which means that your experiences wearing this headset are going to be a lot better. It's going to allow for less lag time and higher quality uh, content coming over the headset. What do you think of that? I know you're, um, as we were talking about recently, you're big into the, the Oculus. So would you be interested in uh, like what Facebook is going to do or what Apple is going to be doing with this? Well, I know a lot of people currently on the Oculus platform are talking about getting at least the six routers right now to improve their own uh, home environment, you know, to, mm-hmm. to have less lag time. So I think that the push toward the higher uh, routers is good. I think from what I read in, in some of the articles was saying that the benefit's not that great yet from the 6E, uh, I think it's the 6E, over the yeah. six. Because there's, uh, you'd have to have a lot more people involved uh, to really get the benefit of the 6E, whereas individuals are going to get just as good a result from the, the six routers right now at less cost than these, right. these other routers. But yeah, it's true that, you know, all the stuff I'm doing, I'm doing on, it's uh, just regular Wi-Fi, but I've got Google Fiber. So there are times occasionally where something might slow a little, little bit down or I, I get a stutter, but not very often. It, now, when, yeah. before we went to Google Fiber, the, yeah, there was a lot more, you know, lags, uh, things hang or you, you know, have to restart something. So, yeah, obviously the faster speeds are going to be helping. I, uh, I, I think it may be a while before we see the cost benefit of going to the full 6E. Right. And it seems like their their main goal here is just a future proof because that's going to be the right. next thing that's coming out. And maybe by summer or fall 2022, whenever this device comes out, it will be to that point where it's really going to make a difference. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, the, the biggest bottleneck for almost any sort of Wi-Fi setup you're going to have in your house is going to be whatever you have piped into your house because you could have the greatest uh, routers in your house possible. But if you're getting like 50 megabit DSL connection, it's not going to matter. Well, I do know that some of the uh, the people on the um, using the Oculus with a PC, so they, mm-hmm. they would call that PCVR, that a lot of that action, that the, if the computer is getting a decent speed, then you can have a, 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 a like a Wi-Fi 5 router. And it makes a huge difference because the speed is between the headset and the PC, not... right not the router and outside. So depending upon what you're doing, it it, it, uh, it can make a difference whether it's internet slowing you down or your processor slowing you down. Right, definitely. That's uh, that's cutting out that bottleneck. But then um, as far as I'm aware, the, the issue there is I believe you have to have, um, I know at least with one version of the Oculus, it's not the, the Rift that's like all standalone. You have to, the processing power is kind of shunted over to your computer, so that requires you to have a good, like, robust gaming PC with the well, good graphics. Well, that would be the Rift, part. yes. The right. Rift, the Oculus is standalone by its nature, okay. but they make a cord, and now they have wireless that you can make it uh, communicate with your gaming PC, and it has to okay. be a high-powered gaming machine. You know, there's yeah. a lot of uh, back and forth about what that constitutes or how much you have to put into it. But yeah, then the processing is done on the PC, not on the headset. 
and it's being used more as the viewer type thing. Mm-hmm. But right. uh, the Rift like is, is, is not able to be standalone. It is tied to your computer where the Oculus is, is uh, independent and by its nature standalone, but you can use it with PCBR. Okay, nice. Awesome. Our uh, last headline here is interesting for those of us who are like, in the maker community or in the uh, kind of custom computer community. Um, the Raspberry Pi has announced that they're going to be doing their first ever price increase. Um, they're going to be bumping up the uh, Raspberry Pi uh, 2 gigabyte model um, from $35 to $45, which was its original price. And this is due to the ongoing chip shortage that we have going on. Um, and they say that this is just going to be temporary. Um, but I do believe that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see, like, I know it, it's been hard to order computer components right now yeah. and really get any sort of, like, reliable estimate. Like, I bought the... Uh, the newest uh, Kindle that just came out and the estimate has changed from like two weeks to like a month to like two months. So it's just, it's, it's a gamble right now when you're buying things and, and more costly, not just the delay. Right. And this is really one of those things where I've seen several, like three or four articles talking about this. And I think that people are making a bigger deal out of it than it really is because it's, it's a $10 increase on a pretty inexpensive thing to begin with. Yes. Right. Right. So it's, it's just one of those things that I think more than anything else, it just shows the state of the technology world where things are going to get more expensive and there's going to be longer lead times. And we're not really sure when that's going to going to change. Hopefully by the end, people are saying end of next year, or early 2023, but we'll just have to see how that goes. Well, and, and I see in my own clients, there's a, there's because it, it's taking so long to get a new computer. A lot of more people are looking at, well, what can I do to, you know, make this one last longer or, you know, look for a used one. And even used ones are becoming pretty expensive and hard to find. And uh, but, yeah, operating systems haven't stopped increasing. And so, you know, an older computer is not going to be able to handle some of the newer operating system requirements. But yeah, I've got somebody that just ordered a, a new computer the other day and said, well, it's going to be six weeks before I get it. Mm-hmm. So, so it's good that his wasn't broken. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's good to know. Although I did see um, a couple of weeks ago, someone did get Windows 11 running on a 15-year-old uh, Pentium 4 processor. So, hey, you, I guess in, if you're in dire need, you could pull out your old, uh, old Dell from 2004 and put Windows 11 on it. <laughs> well, the... Uh, I'm not sure how well it would really run, but I do know that there's ways to disable the requirement that you have the TPM chip. So right. that was, but the, at that point too, then you don't get the security updates. Right. Yeah. That's the, that's the workaround there that uh, it's got to happen. All right. Um, yeah. It was a lot of interesting stuff going on. Uh, we can go to our uh, picks of the week now. Uh, do you want to go first, Pat? Uh, yeah, since I actually have one this time as opposed to the last time I was on with you uh, and forgot all about it. Um, basically, since a lot of my clients are getting new computers, whether they're desktops or laptops, they're beginning to find that, guess what? A CD drive doesn't come with it. And so if they want to, they are, they've got their, I've got a client that said, I've got a memorial here from my mom. I'd like to be able to play it. And my new computer doesn't have a DVD drive. And uh, people will have pictures that have been on uh, like cameras or, and then they got put onto DVDs by CVS or wherever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, 
in in looking at that situation, uh, there are USB portable DVD players that are quite good. And I just wanted to mention that I've used three different ones, actually four different ones that I've been very pleased with. Uh, Dell has one, uh, very thin, very lightweight, just plugs into a USB port, and LG and Asus. And uh, then before that, I think I actually had gotten an HP at one point that was a pretty good one too. Mm -hmm. And they're all between $35 and $55. And some of them have... um, a, a plug that could go into either a USB-C or an A. Most of them just have the USB-A that you could, right. you know, then get a converting hub to use. But I just wanted to mention that that's, it, it's not a stopping point. If you don't have a DVD player in your new machine, these are pretty reasonable to right. be able to just plug one in. And all of the ones I mentioned uh, will work on both both a Mac and a PC, even though Dell doesn't say it works on a PC, I mean, on a Mac. I plugged it in and, and read some videos into my Mac Air and then at a client's house, the same drive, I went mm-hmm. ahead and showed her where she could use it to to play her videos. So, Yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually have that exact same uh, Dell one, and it works fine on my Windows computer and on my uh, Mac with the M1 chip. I just have to plug it in with the... Uh, little dongle right totally fine and it's one of those things where i only need it once in a blue moon but when i do need it it's nice to have around yes exactly so yeah it's a it's a good thing it's one of those things where it used to be you needed your you always wanted to have your dvd drive in your computer and your floppy drive and then the floppy drive got dropped and now the disk drive gets dropped but it's nice to have around uh in those rare moments when you need it all right, uh, my pick of the week is the uh, Chromecast with uh, Google TV. It's the slightly more expensive version of the Chromecast. They have the standard one, which I think is either 20 or $30. Uh, this one is $50, and it has the Google TV uh, OS on it, and it also comes with a pretty nice remote. Um, and it just plugs into the HDMI port on any TV you have, and it gives you your Google TV app on there. You can plug in all your different services. Um they make it really easy to set up and it integrates well. If you have an Android phone, um, you can control the TV and the Chromecast from your phone from the remote there or the included remote, which is really nice. Uh, it's got a nice uh, clicky D-pad and it's it, it's built like I know some remotes have like very specific like buttons for each service. So like if you have a Netflix button, but you don't have Netflix, you have that useless button and it has those buttons on there but it allows you to map them to whatever hotkey you want, which is oh, nice. Um, nice. It also has something that, uh, this is not a feature, uh, like an actual functional feature at all, but it comes in colors other than just black or white or silver, which I appreciate when technology is not just those three colors. I always try to buy a fun color. So I got mine in like this kind of coral, coral pink. So it's a lot easier to find it in the, in a dark room when you've got a a brightly colored object too. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So it just adds a little, little bit of variety to the black and white and gray of most of my tech. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a quick and easy way to get a smart TV if you don't want to actually spring for a TV with it all built in. And I actually prefer to do it that way because that means that if I ever want to upgrade my streaming device, I don't have to get a whole new TV if they decide to stop supporting it. Well, and it means you can carry it with you when you're traveling or you go to see somebody else. You can carry your little device with you and plug it into in another TV somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Take it to like a hotel if I ever want exactly. to do that. Yeah, a hotel yeah. or or a, 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 your your cousin's house or whatever, and uh, and watch your Netflix or your Amazon or whatever. Yeah, definitely. 
Awesome. Um, that's it from us. Uh, what did you think of our discussion? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or on the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send us an email to technology at sqpn.com. You can find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com and you can help us grow Secrets of Tech by writing a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or one of the other podcast directories and share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Until next time, Pat Scott, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Technology. It's always fun. Thank you for having me. And once again, I'm Jack Barazzini. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>